Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 298. Yeah, right. Recorded August 13th, 2017, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions. ElementOpie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am Mark, sometimes called the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and I host this three-ring circus of whatever there was a metaphor that was there, and it was really going to be good, but I can't, I lost it, so I'm just going to introduce you to Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson and Miles the Oxygenator Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Miles, and welcome, faithful opiates. Let us begin again. Hey, Seth. <laughs> How you doing, guys? Hey, can uh, somebody turn summer off? I'm, I'm over it now. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, living here in Georgia has been like perpetual spring from a Texas man. Because um, it's like 87 degrees outside and everybody's going, ooh, it's a scorcher out there. I'm like, this is a sun, this is a warm spring day. What are you talking about? So anytime I hear somebody complaining about the heat, I just chuckle inside myself. I grew up in the armpit of hell. I know what heat is like. Here, nah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Humid, though. You know. It's not and that actually, dry and this heat. year, it's not even been hot here in Texas. It's like the high today, I think, was about 90 because we had some storms rolling through. Um, it might hit 100 later this week, but, you know, it's that's August in Texas. Right. Nothing out of the ordinary it's pretty good so far it's a desolate wasteland <laughs> of, of the sahara out here you literally moved to a desert you can't complain about the heat when you intentionally moved into a desert yeah i know i know <laughs> in winter talk to me about deserts in winter i'll have a whole yeah. positive take on the whole thing i was an employer years ago was complaining that i turned the air conditioner down too low in the summer and I said, yeah, but I'll save you a lot of money in the winter when when I don't make it so warm. And he was like, oh, you just like to be cold. You're not one of those people who just needs artificial all the time. And I thought, you know, I know people like that. Whatever it is, they just need artificial air blowing in their face. So they'll set the thermostat to 85 in the winter and 69 in the summer um, just so that there's something artificial blowing in their face. Yeah, not me. And, and just public service announcement. My, this audience knows this. But you all know somebody who doesn't. So spread the word. Houses don't get cool faster if you turn the thermostat down. Neither do refrigerators. Just today, my 15-year-old daughter was setting up a new mini fridge uh, in her room that she bought with her own money. Uh, And she said, I turned it to its lowest setting so it'll get cold faster. And I said, that's not how thermodynamics works. That's not how it works. It It cools at a given rate regardless of the setting. It just stays on longer. That's all it does. So that that mindset is out there, and it's been out there forever. I hear people, my 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 lovely forty something wife, you know, um, it's not just a kid thing. There are people out there who believe that the lower you turn the air, the faster it gets cooled. That is not the way heat works, people. Thermo thermodynamics doesn't work that way. Stop it. Stop the madness. Stop the insanity. But that is the way psychosomatics work, Mark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, it's hot in here. Turn that thing down to 50. No, no, it's not going to help anything at all. Where are you going? I don't know, but we're making great time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, enough about me. Seth, tell us about, um, I'd like to say the last in in the the saga, but I don't think it will be, the latest uh, edition of Sharknado. I didn't watch it. I was aware of it, but I, I, I abstained from it this year. 
Okay, well, ha, ha, you know, picking up from last year, as we all know, Sharknado 4 created a lowness in the franchise that I was hoping would recover, and I was hoping it was kind of the opposite of Star Trek, where the evens were good and the odds were bad. With Sharknado's, the odds are good and the evens are bad. So Sharknado 5 definitely came back up out of the crater of Sharknado 4, but it wasn't really good. It was just like... You know, has Sharknado 3 is the high point of awesome cheesiness that I've ever seen ever. And 4 was just stupid, incoherent. Um, even for, you know, asylum picture sci-fi channels, it was incoherent. Now, with 5, they, they weave together a consistent story. Now, consistent within the Sharknado universe. It had a plot, and I was able to follow the plot. The plot would not make sense in any rational world, but within the context of Sharknado, it made sense. Um, it just, it wasn't good. It was just like, it was like, you know, they were just throwing stuff out there with robotic deliveries. And, you know, maybe that's just a level of meta making fun of the movie that I just haven't got to yet. But it just wasn't that good. And it just and it ended with a to be continued um, spoiler alert. There's going to be a Sharknado six and it's going to involve time travel. So I was just like, oh, please, Lord, no. <laughs> um, so Sharknado jumped the shark. In four, literally, and now they're invoking time travel so they can go back and jump it again, apparently. Because this next one will be Sharknado 6, I hold out little hope that it will somehow be better because it's an even-numbered one. Um, But, of course, I will watch it just because, you know, I like cheesy stuff that's stupid. Um, But this was just kind of stupid, and it just just wasn't really good. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It just it went downhill when they brought back Tara Reed for Sharknado 4. I was really hoping I voted that they would kill her, uh, but apparently not enough people did. Um, so maybe this time she did die in this one. So it, I have that Leonardo DiCaprio Titanic moment where, yes, he dies. Um, so, yes, she died again. But, you know, with time travel, they're going to go back and save her, apparently, and everyone else. So Sharknado 5, better than 4. Uh, yeah, not quite as good as 2. But you know, an interesting parallel here the Sharknado series seems to parallel Windows releases. <laughs> this is probably the Windows 8 of the whole thing, right? Um, but you know, yeah, Seth, no, you said yeah. the words, and Miles, you it, it actually perfectly ties in. You said, I'm gonna watch it no matter what. The same is true for Windows releases, people are gonna buy it no matter what. At this point, quality is irrelevant. You just put out something called Windows and people buy it, put out something called Sharknado and people watch it. It's a, it's a yeah. pretty good place to be. If I could put out something called Geek Rant and know that a million people would would consume it, you know, I, that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, I, I want to disagree with you so bad. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just they, they – we deserve better, dadgummit. You know, I mean, it's not like it cost me anything to watch it, but I, I don't know. I just – the first one was just so stupid, and it was just like – Sharknado, I, I can't but I have to watch this. And second one, they tried they they tried to do and it was bad, but third, they just they got everybody and people were having fun with it. And it just it looked like fun. And I mean you had David Hasselhoff in space with flying Sharknados in space and a shark they survived re-entry in the belly of a shark and that somehow didn't get all the way burned up and cuts himself out with a chainsaw after it lands on Earth. 
Earth and Spoiler doesn't kill alert. anyone. That, that was Sharknado <laughs> 3. That's been out for like two years now. So, spoiler alert, Sharknado 3, Sharks in Space with David Hasselhoff. Come on, David Hasselhoff. Being good David Hasselhoff, not phoning it in for a paycheck, David Hasselhoff. So, it, you know, 3 was awesome. 4, eh, I don't know. But five was, like I say, if five would have been as bad as four, I wouldn't care about six. But because they, they got it up out of the gutter, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with six. Uh, I went to a birthday party this afternoon for a friend of my daughter, and, and it was at a bowling alley. And there were multiple screens all over the bowling alley. There were uh, music videos on one and a sporting event on another. And one of them happened to, be, happened to be showing Transformers, the first Transformers movie. And my friends and I were the dads. We were in the dad circle. Um, and we were talking about, it. I said, you know, it's the best of the Transformer movies. That's not saying a lot, but it is the best of the Transformer movies. And somebody mentioned the, the fourth one with, uh, Mark Wahlberg. And I said, there was an actual line in the movie that was honey, hand me my alien ray gun. Once as you, as a writer have written that line, you've given up. You have just decided life is not worth living anymore when you've written that line. So, uh, maybe, maybe those writers are now writing Sharknado. <laughs> maybe well come on nobody writes sharknado <laughs> they just copy and paste from others i mean there's literally lines that are straight out of other movies and you know it um you know referencing stuff that you know referencing other movies i mean they didn't have a it's just you know it there's no writing going on there there's just there's just copying and pasting well, I watched uh, uh, yesterday with my, my children uh, Guardians Volume 2, or Vol 2, as my middle schooler calls it, not knowing what those letters mean. Vol 2. She doesn't know what Volume 2 means, uh, and it makes sense, actually, that she wouldn't. Um, I saw it in the theaters. We didn't take the kids. It was just the wife and, and myself, so we bought it on, on Google Play and watched it downstairs in the media room. Um, it stands up to a second viewing. I'm still not willing to call it a good movie. I mean... I, I I will say again the the third act, uh, big climax, uh, kill the bad guy plot was straight out of Three Stooges. It was so ridiculous uh, how we're going to kill this bad guy. Um, but it's a fun movie and it stands up as a fun movie. I enjoyed it with ages nine through you know forty plus, uh, and it was enjoyable and uh, you know still a fun movie, not a good movie. But that's okay. I don't always need them to be both. So Guardians stands up. Another one I watched, it was on, on Seth's recommendation. It's been out a while. I just stumbled across it again. Actually, it wasn't even that. It, I had put it in my Netflix queue, and it showed up. Yeah, I'm still the guy that gets the red envelopes. I'm the one. The only reason that service is still going. Um, that's uh, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. And I got to say, it was so much better than I thought it was. It was going to be. Now, let me level set that i wasn't expecting much at all uh, right and so to be so much better than i thought it was put it in the, the firmly in the realm of the mediocre um it handled the subject matter beautifully it was it was uh it was written by christians at least it had the feel that it was written by christians making fun of christians in that good good-natured elbow to the rib kind of way if it wasn't written by Christians making fun of Christians, it was definitely people who knew the Christian culture. And there was definitely a culture to that. And they made fun of it, uh, but in a loving sort of way. Um, but the, the, the acting was really good. And what I really liked about it was a core component of the acting was bad acting. It was community theater. 
it was a church putting on a thing. And so you had these talented actors being bad actors, and it was so meta that it was it was really brilliant. These guys were really good at being bad actors. Um, and so it was just, it was very enjoyable. Um, you know, it's heavy-handed religious programming. It's, it's nothing more than that. I, I hesitate to even call it Christian. It's religious programming. Uh, but if you're into that kind of thing, you'll enjoy it. Um, it's a, it's a fine family movie. Um, you know, it, it pulls all the right heartstrings, the, the touching family father, son moments, the, the touching crisis of faith moments. And, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing subtle about it, but you know, if you liked highway to heaven, it's that kind of hit you over the head with, uh, with pseudo religiosity, but done, you know, in a modern 2016 way. So I liked it a lot more than I expected. So I can give, you know, a, a, an enthusiastic single thumb up for Gavin Stone. I'm, I'm going to hold the other thumb down, but uh, one thumb up for Gavin Stone. Yeah. yeah. The way I would phrase it is it makes fun with you instead of, you know, poking fun at you. So, you know, yeah, kind of, that, that would be my way to restate what you said. And because it was done in that manner, it, I didn't feel, you know, like there's a lot of movies that use, like for example easy a which is a movie i absolutely love love. great movie but the christians in there are making fun of christians really they're making fun at christians you know and you you have to take it because that's what that's how christians like to portray themselves a lot so um you know but this wasn't this wasn't done this was like hey let's have fun with ourselves and so that's anyway it was a, it was a real sense of community, um, and that's what draws a lot of people to religion, is a group of like-minded people sharing a sense of community, and that movie tapped into that in ways that I haven't seen a lot of other faith-based shows do. So, uh, speaking of shows, Bitcoin is putting on quite a show lately. <laughs> what the heck is going on there, Miles? Um, 4,000 today? Yeah, what are we, 40, 59 at the time of recording? Um, yeah, but, well... I'm not surprised. Um, we this is just the beginning. Still, I mean, you look at it, this. This is an entirely new way of doing economics and doing money. So it's going to go through its cycles. But the thing, I think, the thing that released it to the you know shooting it off to the moon now is getting over this whole August the first uh, split thing and. You know, it's it, it's inter- <laughs> I had a really interesting week with Bitcoin this week. I had mentioned a few shows back that people should be aware that on August the 1st, Bitcoin was potentially going to have a hard fork. And initially, they wanted to go with this Bitcoin unlimited thing. And right at the last minute, or at least within a week or so of that, uh, they managed to stop it because uh, all the miners got together and said, we're willing to embrace you know, segregated witness, which is a protocol extension. And um, when that happened, it didn't really need any hard fork to happen. But there was this little surprising thing that because this August the 1st was this agreed upon date that there was a potential hard fork, lo and behold, a hard fork happened anyway. Somebody else came up with another alternate version of Bitcoin called Bitcoin Cash. And they forked off. And then at this point, everyone sort of said, um, let's see what happens. So on August the 1st, Bitcoin Cash forked off and, you know, it went off and it got, I think it was like $400 each or something like that. Meanwhile, Bitcoin at the time was trading at around 
I guess about 2,000, maybe 1,500 to 2,000. Just, just like want to interject here. Accent, uh, Miles is saying forked. It forked off. <laughs> forked off. Yeah, literally, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did that. It went off like knives end. Um, so, yeah, anyway. So, we went off to Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin, and everybody was saying, look, August the 1st, don't touch your Bitcoin. No, leave your wallet alone. We don't know what is going to happen here. Well, it's now August the, what's today, the 14th, right? 13th. 13th, 13th today. And so it's been two weeks and everything's settled down. Everyone's kind of happy. And now the reality sets in, hey, we didn't uh, destroy everything. And second, that there's uh, now we've got this expanding block thing. We get around the, the obstacles that were stopping its natural growth anyway. Um, and so, yeah, Bitcoin's often racing again. So we've seen it go up. Man, it's doubled in price pretty much since mm. July. So, can't say that's a bad thing. Uh, but here's, you know, here's the funny thing. I, I'd said a couple of shows back, you know, if you've got a wallet, uh, make sure that your wallet supports both Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash because when it forks, you'll get an equal spread of your existing Bitcoin and your Bitcoin Cash. So I thought on Friday, maybe I'll go and check to see what's going on with my little ledger, Nano, my little ledger wallet that I've got. So I plug the thing in and I look online and, and it comes up and says, oh, there's this firmware upgrade for it. So all right, fine. You know, we'll do those downloads. Downloaded this firmware thing, installed it, went really smooth. Um, followed a couple of simple instructions and lo and behold, there's two blockchains in my wallet. I'm like, what? So I look at my Bitcoin, and my Bitcoin's all there. Nothing's changed. Uh, still got my swag of Bitcoin there. And then I'm like, what's over here on this blockchain? So I was like hesitantly thinking, do I want to, if I click something, I'm going to lose my Bitcoin? You know, it's a bit. Anyway, I researched it, and it's like, no, nah, it's totally safe. So I click on the blockchain thing for Bitcoin Cash, and lo and behold, there is the same quantity of Bitcoin in Bitcoin Cash at Bitcoin Cash's value. I'm thinking, hey, this is free money. This is like a stock split, right? So then I thought, yeah, but I don't really trust. And this is, look, don't take this as investment advice, listeners. I'm not trying to give you that, but this is my personal position. I don't really trust this Bitcoin Cash thing because I don't really think it has a great deal of um, network effect. It's not really doing anything. So anyway, I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll convert the Bitcoin Cash over to Bitcoin. So um, I went on shapeshift.io and I said, okay, I want to sell my Bitcoin cash and I want to buy my Bitcoin. And they let you do it. Um, you do it in like chunks, right? So I did that and about an hour and a half per confirmation, which was ridiculously slow, eventually I'm seeing my Bitcoins like going up and up and up and up and up. And by the end of the day, um, my Bitcoin's gone up probably oh, maybe 10, 15% uh, in terms of quantity, not value, quantity. And my Bitcoin cash eventually went to zero. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So I've got more Bitcoin now than I had before. That was really easy. Um, you know, it was worth a lot of money. Uh, but I got it for free, so I'm not going to complain. And just, just, you know, you, some days you get lucky. That was the day when Bitcoin went from like 3,200 to 3,800. 
<laughs> straight away. And now we're at nearly 40, well, we're almost at 41. I know, I know we were dancing around with 42 earlier today. Um, it's great times. <laughs> it's great times to be alive, people. Meanwhile, um, I got an email from Coinbase that said, you know, we told you that we weren't going to support Bitcoin Cash right away. We we m- missed the August 1st deadline intentionally. We are working with that. We want to do this in a stable way. We expect to support Bitcoin Cash by January 1st. And at that time, all the Bitcoin Cash you've accru- accrued will be available in your account. So, you know, in six months, it could have gone up a lot or it could have gone down to zero. Uh, but Bitcoin or Coinbase is taking the... Uh, very cautious approach and taking six months to implement this to make sure that they don't break anything. Yeah. No, they probably took all their Bitcoin, converted it, Bitcoin cash, converted it to Bitcoin because they saw the price was going to go down to nothing. Then on December 31st, they'll buy it back and give it to you and it'll be pretty much worthless. There's my conspiracy theory. No, I'm with you on that, Seth. I'm with you there. I don't think the Bitcoin cash is going to have a great deal of value in six months time. Yeah. I mean, because I pulled up the chart and it's, 295 294 and consistently i mean there's been some ups and downs but it's trending down right and and in november the segwit 2 completely activates and at that point what do you need it for you know this was we we were briefly talking about this before the show but you guys were talking about remittance or, or you know buying something with bitcoin and how it's kind of like an epic fail in that department um, that's the whole reason why we've got segregated witnesses, so we can have payment rails like Lightning and whatever. And the whole idea is that you can get back to buying a cup of coffee uh, on Bitcoin. And, you know, we will eventually get to that place. Um, this November uh, SegWit activation enables it to happen. So then all of a sudden Bitcoin, you know, is a great store of value and you can buy your cup of coffee with it. And at that point, why do you need all these alts? I mean, yeah. Ethereum has a different purpose, but anyway, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. So enough said about Bitcoin, but hey, it's good times. The world needs more choice, Miles. <laughs> I mean, if there aren't at least three altcoins for every individual on this planet, something's wrong. Well, yeah, but you, you know how it goes with products, right? Like if you get right. a product, you get two or th- like you might have 10, but eventually the dust settles and you end up with one, one dominant that owns 60% of the market and a second, maybe two or three that own the, the other percentage and that's it. And I kind of think that's where alts are going to go or where crypto is going to go. You I agree. See, I, as you know, I've said from the beginning and I still stand by it, you, you can either be a good investment or you can be a currency. You can't be both. Now, it's true that there are people that invest in currencies. There are people that invest in the U.S. dollar. There are people that invest in the, the Japanese yen or the Chinese yuan. The, the, these are things. People do invest in that, but it's different. Um, you're not expecting meteoric 1,000% growth in that sort of thing. You're expecting stable non-movement. That's what You invest in a currency largely because you expect it not to move, um, and you want to shield from movements in other countries. So I'm I'm really concerned uh, about the long-term viability of it as an investment uh, when its intent is to be a currency, and I'm concerned about its long-term viability as a currency if the intent is to be an investment. Uh, you know, the original creator, the fabled Satoshi Nakamura, in- clearly intended it for it to be a currency, but everybody right now, I would say 99.999% of people who own Bitcoin right now 
own it as an investment, not as a currency. Yeah, you're right. It is, I mean, in its defense, it's a protocol. So in the same way that TCP is a protocol, you can layer on top of that HTTP and FTP and everything else, and it has different purpose based on the secondary layer. And I suspect that's probably what's going to end up happening. You'll see a layer of this that will go in the direction of a currency, and you'll see the basic underpinning uh, Bitcoin as a store of value in the same way gold is. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We've never we've never had anything like this in history. So, every all the rules are changing. We just don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, and that's what makes it exciting to me is the fact that it's it's entirely new in this world that's been around for so long. It's hard to find something entirely new, and this is. I mean, it's not a revamping of something else. It's not a combining of other things. It's a new invention, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, just one other bit yep. of media. I finished the Harry Potter series. Uh, I started it a while back. Uh, you know, I mentioned on the show, there's, I work with a lot of millennials and this, I realized this is a, uh, major part of their culture that they all grew up with across the world, not just Americans, but across the world. And I was completely ignorant of it cause I'd never read a book or seen the movies. Um, I have finished all the movies. I've seen three, uh, excuse me, finished all the books. I've seen three of the movies. I will say, had it not been for the movie, of the first book, I don't think there would have been a second book. It was not good. It was just, it was okay. It was just an okay book. It was, it was a children's story, clearly intended for a children's audience by uh, a first-time writer. But uh, J.K. Rowling got really a lot better as the time went on. The series gets better. And by the end of the seventh book, I was sitting in traffic on I-75 with tears rolling down my cheek. Um, she was such a, a compelling uh, storyteller she had had honed her craft so much by that point that I was just really impressed with the the whole story uh, and how how it ended and and how um, how it made me feel and you know that's that is the the objective of any true art is to convey feeling and uh, J.K. Rowling played my heartstrings um, like a master and that's that is good writing so just hats off to you J.K. Rowling um, I, I, I now I now need to see the rest of the movies you know. Of course, the movies aren't as good as the book. It's you know, it's a twelve-hour experience versus a two-hour experience. Uh, it just can't be the same. So I'm not expecting much for the movies, but I really think that without the movies, the rest of the books wouldn't have existed. So for that, I'm thankful to Hollywood uh, for having produced them. So, what's the actual status on this now? Is she done, and she's never going to write another book ever again? Or is she threatening to be done, never write another book again, and then another one comes out? She's writing other books in the Harry Potter universe. The Harry Potter story is ended. Uh, but there are other books, like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is a is a Harry Potter universe story that is not about Harry Potter in any way. So like a spinoff, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, from what I remember hearing, she, she promised that's the end of the story. I'm not going to write another Harry Potter story. And then she's like, Oh crap, wait a minute. That makes all my money. There might be a Harry <laughs> Potter story later. So, you know, um, th th that's my, uh, gut reaction to the, you know, people want to get paid. And if you've got this money making thing on the shelf, You'll tinker with his other ideas, but when you see your cash reserves getting low, you're going to pull out that moneymaker and say, you know, come on, baby, daddy needs a seven. Well, and I will say, having gone through the journey with her, I now trust her as an author and would read the next whatever offering is. Um, and I don't say that about a lot of authors. Um, world building is an important part of any um, 
writing, you know, any series of writing. And uh, she did a great job of it. And there's a whole, you know, like the Star Wars universe or the Star Trek universe, there's lots of directions they could spin off that have nothing to do with the main characters, but that are in that universe. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's lots more to be written if she wants to do it. But it would be difficult to write another Harry Potter book. It would have to be Harry Potter, the next generation. Um, and then moving, you know, transitioning into the news a little bit, uh, I want to come back to, to this thing up here cause I have something to say about it. But first I want to read our one bit of listener feedback from, from Gus who, uh, has, has a point about, uh, open source. He says, guys, I enjoyed the discussion about the compatibility of open source with free market capitalism. And I want to make a point. I would argue that the vast majority of open source projects are not large projects at the level of Ubuntu but rather small things like code libraries and development tools or internet infrastructure components like OpenSSL, which on their own are not marketable products that can be put, uh, can be, but can be used in larger solutions or bundled with other similar components and sold. Many of these projects are so small that it wouldn't make sense for the developer to do anything other than open source them as the benefit of the community of developers outweighs any profit that could be derived from them if left proprietary. Companies like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others open source a number of developer tools and libraries, not just because it endears them to the community, but because by doing so, they outsource the development of tools that they use to build their own products. In addition, by creating these small projects and a community around them, they can create hype and sell training materials and certifications with these tools, and these benefits would not be possible if the tools were simply kept in-house. Thanks for a great show. Gus, I can't disagree with anything that you say there, uh, but my my concern, and we've talked about it many times over the five-year run of this show, is that the open source licenses, and certainly the most popular one, the GPL, is onerous in that if you open source any of the code, you have to open source all of the code. So if you bundle OpenSSL in your thing by the GPL version one, certainly most people use version three now the earlier versions of it and it, whatever it was written, you have to use the code that it was written in. You can't take something as GPL one and release and, and roll it into your project and release a GPL three. You just, you have to use the code that the original person did. The original codes were so, uh, the, um, uh, egregious as to say, if you use this, any part of this in your project, you have to open source the whole project. And that's, that's caused things like the Apache license and the, and the, uh, the BSD license to be written as sort of rebuttals to that. But that's the, that's the problem I see that the, the, the strain between open source and closed source, if you're going to use one little open source snippet, some of the original license required you to, to tip your hand to everything that you're doing. Any other comment guys? He sums it up very well. Uh, he's right. Um, everything I've ever used in open source that I've been getting major benefit from has traditionally been small OEM level tools that are bundled into stuff or components of things that I, that I use myself. But then on the other hand, I, then I realized, you know, all my computers are Ubuntu and my servers (laughs) are all Apache and, and CentOS. So maybe I'm lying. (laughs) I use it for a lot of big things too, but, um, I, you know, I tell you what, without open source, my life would be very much worse than it is, I think. So I'm a big fan. I had a friend uh, just last week who said, you know, I've had this rolling Fedora install since about 2001, and I just keep rolling upgraded. And I was like, you know, you could never say that about uh, a Microsoft operating system. You just, you could not have had a machine 
with a single rolling OS that long. You would if they were force you to obsolete or upgrade things. Uh, I don't know about Mac, but I don't think you could have a rolling upgrade going for that long. But with the open source ones, you could. You could just keep moving forward without ever doing a, a, a nuke and pave. Just a you know, complete rolling upgrade for a decade. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I know with back b- before um, Mac embraced the BSD and they did their own OS, they're up to a certain point. Every OS they released had to run on the original Macintosh. And so that was, you know, that was like a thing. And then they, they ditched that one time and it ticked off their community. But of course, you know, they couldn't go too long without their Apple fix. So they came back real quick. <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, they went to the, the BSD model, um, OS X and kind of went on from there. But once upon a time, it was a thing. All right. And now let's jump into the news. This is a news show, uh, at least in in theory. Uh, and the first thing uh, Miles has here is, is talking about, if you haven't heard about it, uh, in North America, uh, next week, uh, August 21st, it'll be uh, uh, the Monday after our next show, uh, is going to be a total eclipse of the sun in a small portion of the country. I think Alabama um, is like one of the best places to see it. But it'll be a partial like 98% where I am today so there'll be most of the sun will be blocked out with a little 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 sliver visible um and it's it's a historical thing it happens once or twice in a lifetime i saw my, uh, the last total eclipse in north america when i was elementary age so this will be twice in a lifetime for me it won't happen again for a long time maybe at the end of my life i'll get to see a third one but maybe not um and so it is a thing and it's going to be pretty exciting and my my take on it, and Miles, I'll let you uh, have your say, but I want to talk about how the nanny state is responding to this in my world of kids in public school. But Miles, I'll let you have your take first. Actually, I'm, I want to hear what you've got to say. Yeah. Go, go ahead. <laughs> so Cobb County, Georgia, I'm calling you out, um, has said, we're going to release school 45 minutes late that day because we don't want people outside during the eclipse. And they've they've had all kinds of reasons for it. Uh, one of them was we don't want the buses and the cars to be driving around in the dark. Okay, so you're going to stop running buses in November too? Uh, because every bus that gets there in the morning for half of the year does so in the dark. And then it was well, we don't we don't want kids looking up at the sun. I'm sorry, what? Um, you know, and and then it was well, you know, we don't. But basically, they don't want the liability of a kid under their care looking up at the sun, doing retina damage. And then the school getting blamed. So at my kids' elementary school, I have one in middle school, one in elementary, one in high school. The elementary school is, no, window blinds will be drawn, doors will be closed. Um, you will not be able to keep, pick your kids up between 2.30 and 3.45 or whatever it is. Uh, no, they are prisoners in a darkened cell for the duration of the uh, eclipse. Sorry, that's the way it is. My middle school daughter is teacher's discretion they can let the kids look at the the uh, solar eclipse but only if they have a permission slip from the parents and only if they have bought the um sunglass the, the uh, eclipse sunglasses that we sell in our store you cannot bring your own they must be ours that you know that we're selling for five dollars a piece so now it's a revenue thing um and then at the high school it's just you know no uh, at least the last thing I heard on that. It's 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 changing because parents are just stupid about it. Uh, I mean, the school is just being stupid. My thinking is, 
fine, I'll just pull my kids out of the school. If you're going to deny them the opportunity to experience the 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 once or twice in a twice in a lifetime event and and miss that that science and engineering and 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 mathematics uh part of the the uh the equation that you cannot get looking at a screen like yeah nasa's going to have a view of it and you can watch it on tv but when you're standing outside at 2:36 p.m. on August 21st, the temperature is going to drop 20 degrees because the sunlight won't be there. That's not an experience you can get on TV. And if my public school system is going to be such asshats as to make my kids miss that, they're just simply not going to be in school that day. End of story. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mark, you can do like this uh, one woman from Texas did and ask them if they can reschedule the solar yeah. eclipse. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. It was a it was a news a, a museum that was having a party, and she said, "Well, my kids are in school at that time. Can you reschedule it?" It's like, "Well, we had a we had a talk with the son, and he said he can reschedule it to uh, to uh, November twenty thirty seven if that works for you." <laughs> I um, just thought that was funny. So it, the I I think yeah, it's not going to be a big deal. It really isn't. It's 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 a it's a a, a a thing that if my kid misses it, it's not going to scar their life in any way. But at the same time, you know, and in fact, originally I was just like, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's it's a solar eclipse. That, I mean, it's it's a cool astro- astronomical thing, but it happens you know somewhere on a regular basis. You know, it just doesn't always happen in North America, um, and it doesn't always happen you know in in the time that you can you know it's but it's a thing that happens it has happened a hundred times it will happen thousands of more times you know whatever uh, but then the more i got to see the way the the government was responding to it the more i i took a stand and said oh you guys are being idiots now i want my kids to have this experience just because you were going to deny it uh, originally i actually told somebody you know are you going to take the day off to see the eclipse no i'll watch it on discovery channel when i get home now I'm like, well, no. Now I'm going to take I'm going to take the day off. And I'm going to take my kids out of school just because you're being morons. Yeah, I remember when I was. Why a do kid. you hate children, Mark? I mean, it's for the children. <laughs> when, we, we had one of these when I was a kid, and what they did at school was they did this really neat kind of science thing where we all had to build these boxes that would take like the image of the sun. Yeah, the pinhole project- box pinhole box right and that was cool because you learned about light refraction you learn about um you know you could we're not allowed to look into the sun you don't look directly at the sun but you use this as an opportunity to learn about light refraction and build these tools and i remember that to this day that was really fun it was cool yeah when, when i was a kid uh my uh, next door neighbor worked for a newspaper uh google it uh, newspaper is a is a f- primitive form of of transmitting um, news stories, uh, and he um, brought home some film strips. Google it. Um, uh, that were they were overexposed negatives, and we put two or three layers, just as many as it took to be comfortable viewing it. We started with two, and I think ended up I think I ended up adding a third of this super overexposed film to get really dark. And you know it's it's not it's not brain surgery here. If it's uncomfortable, don't look at it. Um. And so uh, I bought, you know, in the modern day, I went on Amazon, typed in Eclipse glasses and bought a 10-pack for $15. And I've got a a pair for everyone in my family and some to give to the neighbors. Um, You know, and Amazon Prime delivered them to my door the next day, uh, two days maybe. Uh, So, you know, it's a very different world. You don't need the pinhole boxes anymore because we have ready availability of glasses that are designed to allow you to look directly at the sun. And, but I understand the the school's liability. They don't they don't want some kid bringing in 3D glasses they got at the movie theater, 
and calling them, um, you know, eclipse glasses. And I understand them making them available. I'm fine with it being a, uh, a profit center for the school. Let's sell these. Let's buy them for a buck a piece, sell them for $5 a piece. None of that bothers me. To, but to force my kid to buy them from you when I've already purchased them, that makes me mad. So I, I haven't fully dis- made the decision yet, but I'm about 95% there of just, I'm going to leave work at like 11 that day. I've got a couple of meetings that morning. I'll finish my meeting. I'll come home. I'll take my kids out of school. We'll stand in the front yard and watch the eclipse. So as long as you go there in the morning, you won't ruin their perfect attendance. So that's yeah, important. I couldn't possibly care less. <laughs> You hate children. That you better be careful or CPS is going to come take them from you because you said you don't care yeah. about your children's education yeah. and it went out over the ether. That's right. I, when I, anytime one of my kids have one of their <clears throat> high stress, high value testing things, the last thing I tell them when they walk out that door that day is I don't care whether you pass this t- test or not. It doesn't make you a person. Just, just go do what you can. If you fail it, I, I'm not going to care. Because I don't, I don't care about the institution of, of public education. I don't care whether they look good or not. I care about whether my children are well-rounded, well-educated people. And I do believe that the public schools in my area offer a good education, but I'm not going to get caught up in the trappings of perfect attendance and test scores and all that crap. Um, I just refuse to. And, and this is coming from a guy who spent 15 years in the system. And my wife is 27 now, years in the system. I believe in the system. But I also believe in that there's just loads and loads of crap that you can just bypass altogether. Um, testing is one of them. Eclipse Day is another. So you think you know better than the government how, how to, to raise my kid? Children. Absolutely. Yes. I will always know better. It is my job to educate my children. Public education is one of the tools in which I use to do that. You know, if more parents thought like you, this country would be a better place. But unfortunately, parents like you cause problems at school districts. And isn't that sad? It is. It really is. You know what else is sad? 4,000 Android apps that secretly secretly record audio and and, uh, send logs off to somebody else. Vet your apps, people. Yeah, this was a, uh, these are all like related to the same family of apps and, um, three of them actually made it into the, the Google, uh, play store. All the rest were like, had to be sideloaded either with, you know, like some spam direct message link or third party sites. So just because an app says pretty flashlight, you know, or, you know, what's a rubber baby monkey baby or whatever, uh, be careful that it doesn't also do something else. A lot of these apps, they would do things like after they installed, they would remove their launcher. So you couldn't tell they were there. They could record, you know, um, audio, they could make phone calls, send, receive text messages, um, basically be a spam bot slash, you know, identity stealer in residence on your phone. And in a lot of ways, depending on how savvy, you know, most people with a cell phone are not in any ways technical savvy. They just have this uh, overexpensive supercomputer in their pocket. And so they don't know what they're doing. 
and they they get pwned by every you know Tom Dick and Harry that comes along along so do some research on the apps you install and if somebody says they have this really neat app even if you type it in the Google Play Store take a minute make sure you spelled it correctly because you know it, and they they fixed it but if you went to download McAfee and you added an extra e on the end that web page looked a lot like McAfee um, you know or you know if you just went to antivirus you know, and you put two eyes in there, it looks like an antivirus product and it might actually detect some of the viruses and installs on your system. So just be careful and take a minute, vet what you're doing, take an extra five seconds, stop, count to 10 and wait till tomorrow and see if you still want the app <laughs> before you put it on your phone. Do the common sense things you would people used to do to their children rather than, you know, instantly gratify every whim they have. So just just take a minute because these things are out there and you know, there are so many apps getting submitted to either, you know, Google or Apple that they don't test them all. They t- does it do what it says it does? Yes. Well, you know, there was a um, a flashlight app, that, and this is several years ago, that was in the Apple Play Store. And if you did this special thing, you unlocked a tethering feature that was built into the flashlight app. So they didn't test for, does this flashlight have tethering functions? No, they just said, okay, you know, it makes flashlight good. Uh, it accesses this, but then they did these other things to unlock these other features. So you want to take the time because once you install that, you know, you've let it into your life and it has access to your Facebook, to your Netflix, to your bank accounts. All that information is stored on that same device, you know, that you now use to watch, you know, I don't know, cat porn videos or whatever it is you're watching that you want to. I'm uncomfortable with you combining those two things, cat videos and porn. I'm, I'm, I'm (laughs) uncomfortable with that, Seth, that this, that was a bad moment in this show's history. Okay, well, you cussed earlier this episode. (laughs) I thought if you took one, I can take one too. All right, let me ask you a question. This is measurement of your conspiracy theoriness. How many of you guys have those little stickers that you put over the camera on the phone or on your tablet or on your uh, computer if they've got one? If they're spying on me, they deserve to see what they get. (laughs) I don't know. I put them on all of mine. Because I'm a conspiracy theorist. But no, I, I don't trust any of this stuff. You don't know where this stuff comes from. I mean, the only thing I trust is Facebook. They'd never sell my data, huh? Well, I just don't compute naked that often. You know, it's just not a thing that really is an issue. Um, what they're going to see if they look through this camera is me sitting here at this desk. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't do that. But also, I don't sideload apps. That's just a policy. I don't. If it's not in the app store, I don't sideload it. I just don't. Very few exceptions to that rule. Yeah, I I don't cover it. I just I I run fast and loose, and you know, <laughs> and who knows? Maybe I've caused people to go blind. Maybe that's me giving back to the world at large. <laughs> uh, and next up, in a much over in, in, incorrectly reported if you ask me story um disney says f you to netflix except not really they just said in the future we're not going to put any more of our movies on netflix the current ones will stay under their current contract we're just gonna not going to do any more because we want you to come to us to get our stuff this is not surprising in any way 
Yeah. Do, how many streaming services do you think the market will support? Yeah, I you just don't think, yeah, I, I don't think this is going to work. CBS wants to have all its content on CBS All Access. Disney want, now wants you to have your thing. And they all want to charge the magical eight bucks a month. That seems to be the thing. And people just aren't going to pay eight bucks a month more than about three times, I think. Uh, right. Disney, Disney has a chance of getting that because Disney has stuff that kids want. Uh, that, and that parents want their kids to have. You know, without that digital babysitter, uh, a lot of parents' lives are going to be a lot harder. So that's eight bucks a month that I think most people would pay. Netflix is pretty entrenched at this point. I think they get their eight dollars a month, and all the others are going to be split between Hulu and CBS All Access and and ESPN and all those other things. And I think people are just going to be you know buying for one month or, or and, and trying that. I, I think three to answer your question. You think three? So, yeah, I I just, you know, my thing is, you know, one of the great reasons for Netflix now is you get, you know, and things that weren't addressed in this news article is anything Star Wars related, anything Marvel related, or any of the quote unquote Netflix series that are culminating here in the Defenders that launches when is it next week? Next week. Will they maintain the rights to those will they only have the first few seasons and no future ones um how much will this cut into net and so like now netflix is making a move to actually they've recently bought like a production company because so many so much of their exclusive deals they don't own they just license so you know if if disney pulls out cbs pulls out time warner pulls out you know uh discovery channel pulls out or fox pulls out because um what's left with netflix that is going to justify that demand they're either going to mortgage the future on or mortgage the present on future earnings of original content they produce something that's caused them to go pretty deep in debt you know or they fold and if they collapse there isn't a big one there everybody kind of you have all these smaller markets and then i don't know i just i i i hate this move which i'm sorry world i i doomed us um because this probably means it'll work i just i don't like it i wish disney wants more money per episode of stuff seen rather than a potentially larger viewing audience and they think oh we're disney people love us uh they they don't care about the politics we do because we present a family-friendly image up front and that's all anybody wants they just want something that they can dump their kids off of so they can have a few moments free and i don't don't know so you have to think that you know if, if you can go to google play or itunes or amazon and purchase a streaming version of a of a Disney movie for fifteen bucks. Say they go anywhere from fourteen to twenty. Call it fifteen. Um, then the Netflix contract is some multiple of fifteen dollars per viewing. Um, you know, let's say Netflix has a million subscribers. I'm just making these numbers up. Uh, we're going to assume that a third of those million subscribers at some point are going to watch this movie. And so at 14 bucks, it's going to cost you $14 million to have, uh, uh, or 14 times three, uh, 300,000, whatever that number is, uh, to, uh, to have, uh, um, this on your show for X amount of months. I'm guessing that it seems logical that that's the way these things go. So they've pretty much hit saturation at that point. And, and for Disney to say, well, now we want those people paying that $14 to us instead of Netflix paying it to us. I just don't think. 
I don't think it's going to matter to the bottom line. It's just going to make things more difficult to the end user. I think I think this loses all the way around. Uh, it's a customer dissatisfier, and it makes Disney no more money than than they're making now. Yeah, because Disney will. I mean, I'm sure Netflix doesn't. Netflix doesn't pay Disney what it would cost me to buy it for them to license it. You know, they're getting like the volume subscriptions right. coming, and so what will happen is. Fewer people will access Disney, but they will make more money on each access. And more importantly, they will be denying revenue to their competitor. Yeah. And I think I think it that history has proven that in business deals such as this, denying revenue to your predator, uh, competitor is denying revenue to yourself. I hope so. What do you think, Miles? Um, yeah. I think that what's going to happen is if Disney do this, we're going to see a, a return back to the world of torrenting. Mm. Uh, people will still want to get their stuff and they're just not going to be able to afford to pay Netflix and Disney and everybody else. And at the end of the day, they're going to pick and choose what they want. And the stuff that they got used to getting for free, they're going to continue to still want. So either they're going to be going back to buying it somehow or they're going to be pirating it again. You know, people get what they want when they discover something that they that they think they need, but they're budget limited. They'll spend their money where they think they're going to get the greatest return on it, and they'll pirate the rest of it. It's it, it's not something. It's easy. Look, this happens in Australia a lot. They have one of the largest pirating communities down there I've ever seen, and it's not because they're a bunch of thieves. Well, maybe. Um, you know, it well, was originally a penal colony. <laughs> there is that, yes. <laughs> but no, it's not because of that. It's because when you artificially restrict choice and what people want to get, that doesn't mean their need for the things don't, it goes away. It just it, They just find a different way to get it. And I think Disney is just toying with uh, return back to the pirate bay. So uh, it, just, it just goes to show that, that people in leadership positions are tone deaf. They don't understand the people they allegedly serve. And another great example of this is the FCC being, once again, tone deaf and and telling people that, you know what, you don't actually need broadband, as it turns out. Um, wow. You know, maybe, maybe broadband's really not that big a deal. Yeah, you know, F- the FCC releases their, like, annual, I don't remember if it's annually, but it's a regularly issued report talking about how fast is America getting broadband access delivered to it and being rolled out. Well, you know, under George Bush, it was good. Under Obama, it's not so good. And now they're saying, hey, what if we decide that people don't really need broadband? They can just get by with mobile. And now, of course, we understand that with mobile, you won't get near the speed, but that's okay because it's mobile and you don't need the speed. Um, um, but we think that's good enough, and so now we can give ourselves a pat on the back for saying how good of a job we're doing and get our bonuses in the budget. So um, I just, you know, this is, I love to be, I used to love to consider myself a Republican, but this is more where Republicans have gotten away from the small government mindset and they've, they've been, you know, like humans get bit by a walker and they become zombies. Republicans got infected by greed and they became greedies. And so now, you know, this is just another way for businesses not to have to roll out um, and maintain their their wired networks. They can just do everything broadband and you get people on the fringes 
you know, out in the middle of nowhere, Texas, I don't get good broadband. I don't get good mobile downloads. So I'm just, I'm just bleaked however you go about it. So, you know, again, this goes back to a lot of this is because the government created the monopolies when they were setting it up. They deserve, you know, we, since they created that, then we deserve to have them limit the powers that those giants they created have. And this is just another chance where they're caving in to, uh, Hey, you know, big businesses, Hey government, why don't you, uh, just take this iron out of the fire. I don't want to do any work. I just want to collect the same amount of money for doing nothing, which I mean, Hey, people are lazy. So why aren't corporations lazy too? Um, I just, I just think it's sad. You know, the government isn't for the people anymore because, you know, this kind of ties in with uh, what we were talking about with the Netflix story. Think about how many things people spend a monthly charge for that generations before them never did. And we think we're poor and we think money is so much tighter than it used to be. And it is because my parents didn't pay a Netflix subscription going up. You know, they didn't pay Amazon Prime for um, expedited postage. They wasn't Hulu for the stuff Netflix didn't have. You know, you didn't have, uh, you know, smartphone tracking weather radar bonus for $2 or whatever. There's just all of this little nickel and dime crap that people put up with to make ourselves stretch tight. So that way we don't care when stuff like this happens because we're too busy trying to figure out, you know, either how to set up a torrent through a VPN so the we don't get a letter or, you know, how we can put off Joe's college until he's 87 so we can <laughs> afford the new iPhone 5 this month because that was the other one was last month. Um, I just think this is a one of these days, somebody, enough people are going to care that something's going to happen. What is the remedy from the people's point of view? Like, I mean, okay, government, uh, they're supposed to be our public servants, in theory. I mean, what do we do to say, hey, that's not good and we don't want to do it? I mean, do you call your senator? What do you, what do, you yeah, do? All you can do is call your Congress critter because the, the FCC is not, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, Partisan? No, uh, no. I'm blanking. They're not elected. The FCC is not uh, right. beholden to the American public. They, they 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 don't have any. We don't have any standing in what they do. They answer to the FCC and they answer to Congress. So that's it. Um, if you want the FCC to change, you have to do that through Congress. And the chairman is a is designated, right? So it's through your president and through your congressman, senator, uh, or, or representative. So it's a case where. People who have no reciprocity have have nothing to lose by screwing the American people, um, are put in the position of representing the American people. Well, and it's because they know the American people don't vote on issues like this. This isn't something that you know. And of course, th there there's the one person you know who thinks Stalin is God that's going to say, "I need bigger access" or whatever. Uh, you know, or there's going to be that small fringe, but not enough to tip the meter anyway, because people don't care about this. You know, people people care about their iPhone. You know, people were buying the original iPhone when they couldn't access the networks because it was so clogged. They didn't care that they couldn't access anything with their iPhone because they had the shiny new iPhone, you know. And now it doesn't matter if I have good Internet at home because look, look, look at what my iPhone can do. You know, look, oh, it's the latest Samsung Galaxy 48 Infinity model. It has an extra pixel. 
Uh, I don't know why they put it on the back, but I got one more. And yeah. th- that's what we care about. And, and th- they another, know people are stupid. Another thing that's important in this uh, ruling, um, ruling is not even the right word, this this finding, this release. There, it's kind of refre- request yeah. for comment now. Yeah. So this is stage one. Yeah. On we'll call it a release. Over. Is that they're saying uh, 10 megabits down, 1 megabits up. This is the first time the FCC has ever declared what is enough. And this says that if you've got 10 down, 1 up, however you get it, through cable, through telephone, or over the air, um, you, you've you got broadband and that counts. Um, that, <laughs> that's a pretty low number, to be honest with you. Um, and to say for, for the... the Head of the agency that's in charge of making sure that communications are federally regulated properly, for them to come out and again, I have to use the word tone deaf to say that 10 down and one up is enough. I guarantee you, Mr. Ajit Pai has better bandwidth than that. I, I, he does. He would not live comfortably with that level of bandwidth. Um, he's a Netflix user just like the rest of, of us, I'm sure. Um, and so it's. The the only there there is no logic there is no reason there is no rationality that it can explain where this comes from it simply has to be pressure from people who put money in his pockets. Maybe no, we there, get- there is a rationale because if I have one internet connection at home, that internet connection can serve a hundred different people. I mean, you know, or however many different people inside that house. But if I have one smartphone, then everybody in that house needs a smartphone. So that's me getting four times the revenue. Versus one, so it's 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 money put in his pocket. Yeah, this might this might change though as time moves forward because the the younger your elected officials are as they enter Congress or the Senate or whatever, the more likely they're going to be, you know, needing faster broadband themselves. Good point. you know, it, it, I'm not saying that John McCain, need, you know, doesn't need fast broadband, but he's probably not a high priority in terms of the bills that he wants to pass. But some young guy who comes in is probably going to say, hey, uh, you might want to think about this stuff. So this could get better on its own, but that could take 20 years. Well, and continuing the theme of tone deafness, it has to get out of the, the government and then into the realm of the judges who now have decided – um, that uh, one counts as competition. Yes. Um, we talked about this m- many months ago. I don't remember the show number where the uh, FCC was trying to push a ruling that said, if you are within half a mile of another ISP, you are considered under competition. And therefore, the mandates that limit what the government the government has put in place, if you are in a non-competitive area, you can only charge X. But if, if you're within half a mile of a non-competitive area, then you're considered competitive and all bets are off, baby, lube them up. And then, you know... Whether or not add, they serve you. Just if yeah. they could run a cable for less than uh, 2,500 feet then you count. Yeah. And also another, if 75% of the constituency or, um, 
if 50% of a potential customers are within a half mile location or something like 75% of the county is within competition distance, then you are considered to have comp, you are considered to have multiple choices and therefore your one sole provider, which is the only one you have access to is allowed to charge whatever they want. So competition literally means now and the, the, so people put a lawsuit to block this and the judge says, uh, no, I'm dismissing this lawsuit. It's got to go to trial. And until then they can charge whatever they want, because if you are served by one person, that one person has to compete with themselves to give you internet is basically their logic. I guess it's just, you know, again, the FCC cares nothing about the people. They only care about the businesses making money. And this is, you know, an imbalance in our government is everybody is representing the big business in those panels who won the FCC is a common man that's appointed to the post to provide balance for that. There isn't, they're all former AT&T Verizon, you know, time Warner charter, whatever. They just rotate through CEOs and government appointments um, every so often. And so that, that's, you know, where is Joe Internet Users post on the FCC that says, hey, what about the people who actually pay the money? Yeah, it's all about accountability. And that's the word I was looking for other, earlier, accountability. There, there isn't any. Um, and when, when the people who make decisions have no accountability for their decisions, you get this kind of garbage. Yep. Dis- disappointing. So let's talk about something brighter, something uh, something more youthful, something happier, like Disney apps that spy on little Susie and little Tommy. Yes. So a group of parents, uh, and I came up with a great title for this. Um, parents are suing Disney for being a free babysitter for their children. So all of those apps that you install on your tablet or the little throwaway tablet you bought for, you know, Johnny baby and, you know, Susie teething or whatever. So they will not bother you and sit quietly and be still. They collect all kinds of data, um, you know, where they're at, what they're doing. They monitor their habits and all of that. And so the suit says there was nothing about the parent. There was nothing warning the parents what information is collected. And uh, so basically we're suing them for collecting information about our children without our knowledge. And Disney is like, we follow COPPA principles, which I could have looked that up, but that wouldn't, that would be out of character for the show. Um, and so Disney is like, bring it on. We've got lawyers. We got to pay them anyway. So, uh, you know, we'll see how far this goes in court. It's the children's online privacy protection act. Ah, COPA. Um, I, I know about that from my time in schools and trying to get, uh, social media, used in constructive ways in school um and copa among other things says that uh, a child um under the age of 13 just can't do anything without parents permission like that's why you can't have a facebook app for example a facebook account unless you're 13 you have to lie to it to tell it that you're over 13 um this this to me seems like much ado about nothing i'm i'm not of the the tracking is evil camp and, and we've had this discussion before and uh, and I don't think that tracking the activities of a nine-year-old is nefarious in any particular way. And I don't think serving more effective ads to, to an 11-year-old is an evil thing. But if they violated the law, they should pay a penalty for it, plain and simple. And that's what the courts will decide. And we all know that courts never get anything wrong. 
Yeah, I, I totally put my faith in uh, in the court system. I just think, you know, to me, this is just the parents being hypocritical because, you know, parents, because they wanted peace, you know, they, they got tired of telling their child no. And so they said their child no a few times and then gave in, thus training their child to continually badger the parent because the parent will eventually give in. You've conditioned that response for your children. It's only going to be harder to break every time you gave in. Sorry, it's my counseling psychology background coming out. You know, you did that in order to shut the kid up, basically. And of course, no parent's going to say they did it to shut the kid up, but we all know what the real world is. And so therefore, you didn't look, you didn't take a chance to see, you know, hey, this, this, device this app requires root access to your phone this as this app can turn on and off hotspot notifications this app can turn on and off network location or anything whatever permissions are given you chose to be clueless to because you had other things to do and i mean you know Hey, look, we all do decisions because I don't want to think about it now. Just leave me alone. And how many of us have made stupid decisions in life? Um, you can't not do your due diligence in protecting your children on the front end and then get mad on the back end when if you if you've lived if you unless you've lived in a cave and even in your cave probably got at least spotty Wi-Fi connection, you know <laughs> stuff like this exists. If you have a tablet or a smartphone, and obviously you do because you gave one to your child, you know stuff like this exists. And if you didn't take the time to see what is it, okay, I see what this does, and I'm gonna model I'm gonna monitor my child when they first use this so I can see what it is. Oh wait, I don't like what they're doing here, you know. You chose it. You don't get to turn around and say, I know I chose this freely for nothing, but now I'm going to sue you because you collected stuff that I didn't bother to read to see if you collected or not. This is just hypocritical uh, as much as I want to stick it to Disney because that kind of fits in with the theme we were building for. I've got to say parents grow up and quit being stupid on this one. So Which we, is a perfect lead into our next story about actress Victoria Justice. Uh, if you if you don't know who that is, you don't have a daughter aged fourteen or younger. Um, but if you do, you know who Victoria Justice is. She's a uh, a former Disney uh, uh, television star. Uh, had a couple of TV series: Zoe One on One, One on One, and Victorious. Uh, she's now a twenty four year old adult who apparently took pictures of herself doing some very adult things. And now those have been hacked and uh, the hacker is threatening to release the photos of 24 year old actress doing 24 year old adult things. Uh, I will leave that as an exercise to the reader to look up what that is. Uh, this is a case as Seth was talking about, uh, don't do stupid things. Um, you know, uh, certainly a consenting adult is uh, has a right to do um, things of an adult nature. Um, and again, if you want to photograph that, if you are a beautiful enough person that you think you will look good photographing yourself doing these adult things, again, that is your right. If you want to put those online, again, that is your right, but darn stupid of you. Uh, if you are then a hacker who wants to uh, expose those sort of things, that is not your right. Stop being a moron. Yeah, I just, you know, and, and the thing that came out in this particular case, it was her Twitter that got hacked. So she was apparently sending these photos to someone via Twitter. I mean, if you're going to take inappropriately 
if you're going to take photos that are inappropriate to be seen during primetime viewing hours on television and you're going to send them to someone, one, you shouldn't use Twitter. So um, Twitter, you know, I just people take the time to think about what you do online, what you do today can affect you for the rest of your life. You can use it to learn or you can, you know, saddle yourself with stupid decisions, but take some time, stop, count to 10 and then realize you didn't need to do it or count to 10 again and think, okay, instead of me posting this where everybody can access it, what are some steps I can take to provide some minimal level of security? Direct messaging someone in Twitter isn't really secure. Twitter pass, you know, there's people who just bang on Twitter to uh, break into passwords so that they can, you know, use your Twitter account to blast out, you know, Viagra cells or whatever. So take the time and just because everybody is doing something some way, doesn't mean you should do it that way if you're going to do it. You know, be safe, be smart, realize that your decisions matter. And, you know, I know what, what either, either this was a planned publicity stunt because Victoria hasn't gotten any TV shows recently, which, you know, actresses these days and actors for that matter, I don't want to be sexist, are doing stuff like this for publicity all the time. But let's assume it was an innocent mistake. You know, someone, direct message her, maybe her boyfriend, and then she direct message back. And rather than thinking, wait a minute, there's a more secure way of doing this. So just think about what you're doing online. Is this generational? Do you think that this no, is a something no. where there's the the younger generation has a higher level of naivety and trust? It's just easier. It's just easier. Guys and girls have been taking pictures of their junk since pictures existed. It's just easier now to snap a picture and send it without thinking. It's the barrier between doing and thinking has been reduced, but no, it's not new. Yeah. And you know, used to, if it was a picture, you would then have to sneak into the office at school and photocopy it if you wanted to pass it around. Now it's a digital image and you know, you can control C, control V, control V, control V, control V, pass, you know, or batch mail that to whoever, or put it on one website and a million people can access it. So yeah, it's, it's just easier to do. It is easier to intercept. It is easier to rebroadcast and the, uh, transmit. I, the penetration factors are just a Uh-oh. lot quicker than they word choice, <laughs> but that was the word that word fits in that situation. So I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, yeah, just, you know, Seth makes a good point about personal responsibility and about thinking I'm going to break it down a lot. Simple, simpler. Don't take pictures of your junk. End of story. No matter how attractive it is. Don't take pictures of it. I agree. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, I, I as a as a father of daughters, I have no doubt that if it hasn't already happened, it will happen soon. That some guy um, is going to pressure my children into taking a picture, you know, there in the privacy of her bedroom in in a half a second of of herself in in various stages of undress and send it to that person. And my daughter is not going to be emotionally and intellectually equipped to stop for a moment and think about that decision and say, how is this going to affect my future life? 
Am I going to not be able to get into colleges or get jobs because I'm I'm taking a nitpick now? That that their 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 brains are not developed at that point, but they're holding technology that is highly developed, and that's a that's a conversation that I do have with my children in you know in an age appropriate way, and one that I need to have. But I know that no no amount of conversations is going to matter in that moment, and so that's that's my concern. It is so very easy now. And, and, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up in a time before all of my stupid deeds were, were recorded forever. You know, the stupid stuff I did exists in the memory of a few people and that's it. Maybe a police report or two. Um, but you know, it's not stored and archived, uh, you know, in, in data centers across the country and the world. Um, so my concern is not that is that the technology is more mature than the, the people using it. And I don't know how to fix that. I really don't. I don't want to take the tools away from my children because then they'll never learn to use them responsibly. So as a, as a parent and as a, as a citizen, this is the, a thing that I, I struggle with on a regular basis is, is how to, how to teach responsibility to people who are, who are genetically, chemically, biologically not ready to be responsible yet. So what is something that you think, I mean, like would something like if you use this phone in your room, you have to leave your door open, you know, would that work for a certain age group of uh, child? Or? Not after I go to bed, you know, and I'm not dumb enough to think that, that when I send them to bed and turn the lights off, that they actually put their technology in way to go to, away and go to sleep. Right. Um, you know, I could, uh, I've seen some, some, uh, uh, good advice, uh, you know, have the charging stations in the, in the parent's bedroom. You, you check in your phone every night. And that makes sense to me, but my kids use their technology, you know, they, they, they go to sleep listening to Pandora on their phone. They use the alarms on their phone to wake up. These are valid uses of the technology, um, and I don't want to deprive them of the valid use for the fear of the invalid use. Uh, so it's a, it's a struggle. It really is. A lot of it, I don't know, this is not necessarily a technological statement, but I, I tend to think that a lot of what the, the kids um, – behavior and their uh, and the actions that they take and the decisions they make are probably defined more so by the actions they see their parents doing so if their parents have made similar mistakes in their youth and put photos online or whatever i would say there's probably a high probability the kids are going to fall down that trap somewhere but if the parents have you know led a fairly straight and narrow life and they you know they they see consistency there I don't know. I don't, maybe maybe I'm naive saying this, but I just don't think the kids are more likely to do that sort of stuff. But you know, hey, this isn't psychology, you know, rant. So, what do you do? I would be willing to bet a lot of money that among this audience, there's a there's a higher percentage of junk pictures than you might think. You know, it's it's more common than than people want to think it is. Um, and I don't. I don't think it's appropriate. I don't think it's normal, but that doesn't mean it's not uh, not common. You know what I'm saying? As it, normal and common, appropriate and and widespread don't don't always exist on the same spectrum. Right. Yeah. I, I would be curious for our listeners. You know, what are tips that you have done to monitor your children's or monitor slash teach slash train slash reward their good behavior? Mm-hmm. Um, have have you implemented with technology in their lives? I think that would be some interesting feedback, and I hope we get some. Yeah, you're right. You know, and and every 
you know, uh, again, not to pick on Victoria Justice, she's a grown-up person. 24 years old in every state, in every country, in every place on the planet is considered an adult. Um, maybe the parenting in her uh, early life was not as strong as it should have been, but, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, she's a she's in charge of making her own decisions right now. But for so many people, she's that 16-year-old they saw on TV, and for the next 50 years of her life, she's going to be a 16-year-old in their mind. And so right. this is worse for her because, you know, she's a Disney princess, and Disney princesses, you know, they have such a great track record of maintaining healthy, normal lives. And this is even pre-Disney Channel. You know, go back and look at some of the Mouseketeers and how messed up they got um, mm-hmm. because of what fame did to them. And that says something about our culture. I hate yeah. doing news shows. Man, I'm, I'm so sad depressing. Yeah. News, we need to find good news. We need to find the news stories about the, the water skiing squirrel. You know, more cat videos. Um, this one is fascinating to me. I don't understand it. The Scientists have successfully, successfully encoded a software exploit in a gene to remotely hack a computer. That sentence is like something out of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, I... The only reason I included this story is just because I thought it was really cool. Um, just that we have the technology to encode software that whenever this DNA is being sequenced, it will exploit the code of the computer that is sequencing it. So now hacking is literally in your genes. And I just think that's kind of cool. So if you send a, a genetically engineered blood sample to a lab to have the DNA sequenced you can now pwn that device and that network with your blood yeah and you know a lot of this is hypothetical now and this was done under controlled situations but you know just just think about stuff that used to be required to be done via hardware in the first generation is being done via software later the same day that's just you know once they realize what 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 to do then they can manipulate how to do it so here is a great um like you know mystery who done it real world or at least kind of crime novel ex or usage of this you know um joe fudrucker got arrested for rape and they did his dna and it came back a match but they wanted to do a second sample to confirm that it was his but it got injected with this DNA. And so when they ran the second sample, it pwned the computer invalidating the rape kit analysis, setting him free. I mean, now granted that's not real world doable today, but man, that would make, that would be a hypothesis that could be a really cool like book or a season of a show or something. I, you know, and who would have thought that, a month ago, apparently these guys, because they've been working on it for a while, but, you know, um, uh, whatever his name Grisham is, um, you know, th- this could be, I could have just given him his next, um, you know, novel idea. I'd read that novel. I'd read I, that. I've got a plug for a novel like that. I've got to tell you, I'm just about done with Change Agent by Daniel Suarez. It's exactly about this. Well, not. Oh, yeah. Not you talked hacking. about this before, didn't you? It is so cool. This is one of those reads that you can't put down. It's all about DNA hacking and the market of 
hacked DNA and and how and the underworld and what the world might look like in 2045. You got to read this thing, man. It's awesome. All right, I'll add it to my list. I like Daniel Suarez. Yeah, it's a good one. This one. Yeah. So now that's gone a little bit from science fiction to science future plausible now. So it makes it even more interesting, I think. All right, and changing gears a little bit, my my theme for 2017 has been simple, pay for what you like. Um, and when you don't pay for what you like, things that you like go away. Uh, SoundCloud was on the verge of going away. Now they've got a little bit of a reprieve in the in the form of a big chunk of money. They got real close to going down this week. Yeah. There wasn't there were I could have it could have gone down at any moment. And I when you when these things happen, you look and go what exactly do they do? What exactly is their purpose? So I dug a little deeper on this, and it's a you know SoundCloud was a mob out of Europe, I, a Germany I think, um, who basically wanted to sort of put audio out there on the internet for free as this wonderful social experiment, and so they created all these servers and upload facilities and a beautiful user interface and you know, a way that artists could release their stuff to the world for no cost and with no, nobody in the way. And then wondered five years later, how are we going to keep paying for this? <laughs> and they couldn't monetize it because the whole reason they existed was to not monetize it. And I, I'm thinking this is a, an illustration of where that, without using a, I don't know if this is the right way of explaining it, but that European socialism model doesn't work when it comes to um, proprietary audio. Because I know musicians want to get paid and they're not getting it from Spotify, but they need to get exposure to build an audience. So they use SoundCloud and now SoundCloud could have gone down this week and that would have been game over for everybody. I don't know. Uh, it, It just seems to me like, it's really naive to think that you can put all this stuff out there in this free and open source model in this particular area and expect to survive. And I, this is just a, a stay of execution, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I can't see that they came up with any uh, monetization strategy that is going to be able to pull them back to a profitable model. I don't see it. The only way I can see it is advertising, and that's exactly against what they stand for. So. I, I don't know. I, I would just say, look, if you if you've got anything on SoundCloud or you you know relying on it for some purpose, you might want to think twice about it. It's hard to rely on free things. It just it just really is. Pay for what you like. Pay for what you like. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, um, don't pay patent trolls. Um, <laughs> this personal audio thing—it's been around for a while. We've talked about it a little bit. Basically, a company, a, a patent troll. There's just no other way to describe it. A, a company that is, exists specifically for the purpose of existing as a company that sues people uh, was suing podcasters, saying they owned podcasts. Uh, it's been going on for a while, and maybe it's going to go away soon. Well, they tried to sue the EFF to say, "Well, no, I'm sorry, let me stop." They tried to sell the patent and trade sue the patent and trademark office to stop the patent and trademark office from invalidating patents by way of third party lawsuit. 
that was their whole point. If they had this appeal is done and dusted, it's over and done with now. But if they had won that appeal, then it would have been that any opportunity that anybody has to fight against a patent troll by invalidating a bad patent, which is what the EFF did, would have been that that weapon would have been taken away. But in this particular case, it was held up as being reasonable, and hopefully that signs the death warrant on personal audio. We they. We don't need them. They offer nothing, and they need to go away now. Yeah. So essentially, the the EFS was AFF was never uh, sued in this, so they couldn't come to to the direct defense of anybody. So they had to go do go around uh, the 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 legal process i'm sorry my brain is not working that tonight they had to do a, a bit of a legal end round uh in run around uh the the process and and they did file a couple of amicus briefs to sort of get their foot in the door but eventually they came up with a very clever tactic of just going straight to the the u.s patent office and saying we believe this patent is invalid and it had nothing to do with any of the the per, uh, personal audio lawsuits that were going on. It had nothing to do with with any of those stuff. It was just a complete new case that that was brought up directly to the uh, the U.S. Patent uh, Office and said we believe this to be invalid. The judge said, "Yeah, you're right. We don't. This isn't valid." So that patent was thrown out. So now all of the legal cases that are pending uh, have essentially been null and void. But Having said that, most people that Personal Audio extract, extorted money from never went to court. They sent them a threatening letter and said, if you pay us X amount of money, we'll go away. And they got the X amount of money, amount of money and they went away. So they still made lots of money off of this, uh, the courts notwithstanding. And they, could, they, they might still be able to do it. They might still be able to send these extortionary letters uh, to people who are willing to pay off. They now just no longer have a legal leg to stand on. If the person says, no, screw you, um, they can't take them to court. But that doesn't mean they won't stop trying to get money. I really believe that. But, you know, if they did that, then you would be able to, like, bring charges against them for extortion at that point, right? For fraud. Absolutely. But their their whole angle has been come in at a number just low enough that it's not worth the court case. Right. And that's still a good uh, policy. That, in fact, that's what the uh, RIIA do when they send you those letters, uh, the Napster letters. They say, look, you know, you could fight us in court and say that we're wrong and that you never actually did this, or you can just write us a thousand dollar check and we'll go away. And everybody chooses a thousand dollar check because you can't have breakfast with a lawyer for less than a thousand dollars. Yeah, something that's very interesting right now. August has always typically been a very slow month when it comes to legislation in Congress and the Senate. I mean, they often go off a vacation for the whole month and nothing happens. Uh, but I'm noticing a very larger amount of volume on uh, patent reform, uh, more than I've seen in 12 months. Now, I know we've been through a lot in 12 months, but you would think that right now the focus would have been on you know, it was healthcare reforms, tax reforms, infrastructure, all those things. But the, the uh, patent reform is getting a bit of uh, attention at the moment. There are some very interesting things going about with senators going public about uh, fee shifting, you know, where the party that wins, the party that loses has to pay the other party's legal costs. Um, that will probably kill patent trolling if they can yeah. move fee, fee shifting. But, uh, yeah, it's starting to get some attention. So maybe there's some hope on the horizon. Who knows? I hope so. It's time for some common sense in yeah. the U.S. legal system. Yeah. Now, Seth, what happened this week in history? 
Okay. Well, continuing our lovely theme, um, Mark, I wanted to let you know that on August the 11th, 2003, Windows got blasted. The blaster worm, also known as MS Blast or the Blaster Virus or Love Sand, begins to spread on the internet, infecting Windows XP and Windows 2000 computers. The primary symptom of the worm was the crashing of the RPC service, which would trigger the computer to shut itself down and reboot, as shown in the graphic. And you know, you can go and there's graphics of that. But Microsoft estimated the number of machines infected between 8 and 16 million, a number that I think is very low. Damage caused by the worm was estimated at 320 million. And I was doing inbound phone support uh, Dell had this program where you could buy a software support contract and talk to an American technician as opposed to someone in India and for two and a half days I took one call that didn't go something like this all right go to start run type shutdown space dash a enter go to start run type services.msc find the rpc server service right click go to properties under action change from restart computer to restart service for all three click ok all right sir your computer has been affected by the ms blaster virus you will need to research an antivirus solution dell does not make antivirus recognitions thank you and have a nice day and I did that for literally two and a half days. I mean, I got to where I, after I did it about 10 or 12 times, I, I brought up this um, flash based game where you're a gold miner. And so I'm sitting here hitting the space bar, trying to mine stuff. And my manager walks by and he sees me and he's about to gripe at me. Then he stops and listens. And, you know, I'm telling him exactly what to do. Half asleep, you know, that contemplating shooting myself. Cause I'm saying this for the hundredth time that day. And it was just like for two days, the internet stopped and mm-hmm. you had to, stop this worm that luckily it really didn't do like you know it didn't wasn't ransomware it didn't encrypt your hard drive didn't destroy files and the thing is this patch had been out for like a year or more before this thing happened so it's like if you were regularly um, involved in the security of your machine you wouldn't have got it but this was such a big deal and like i say for two days literally my job stopped and i did this eight hours a day Telling people that 30 second spill, I must have did it over a hundred times a day. It was, oh, it was so boringly numb, brain killing stuff. But in that happened this week in history, Mark, back to you. The the bad old days back then, most of us didn't have hardware firewalls at all. We were directly connected to the internet via DSL modem or cable modem. Right. Uh, and usually running it around four megabits was about the average back then for for broadband. Uh, if we had firewalls at all, we had software firewalls. That was before XP turned on the firewall by default. So the, there, it was in the system, but it was not turned on. So the vast majority of, of, of the world had no firewall of any kind anywhere between them and the internet. Um, and I remember I got bit by this, and essentially all Blaster did was reboot your computer over and over. Um, and what I got this, I had taken the laptop out of the box, brand new, still had the stickers on it, turned it on, connected it to my Wi-Fi so I could start downloading the software I needed, including Tiny Personal Firewall, which was one of the ones I was going to put on it. And within seconds, it got the, the warning and shut down. I turned it on, it got the warning shut down. And, and that, that sequence that Seth is talking about, you got to be pretty quick 
to get to that, to get the click, start, run, type, and hit enter. Uh, you had 30 seconds to do all that. And if your machine wasn't pretty quick and you weren't a pretty quick typer, it would take you a while to do it. So this machine rebooted right out of the box, seconds uh, after I had f- turned it on for the first time and connected to the Wi-Fi, this machine was doing this, and I couldn't couldn't turn the Wi-Fi off. It didn't have a hardware switch. Uh, I probably could have gone and disabled the Wi-Fi in my uh, house, but it wouldn't have mattered. You know, once it was infected, it was infected. So even before I could get this brand new machine installed with a software firewall, uh, I was infected. And and that was really it was MS Blast. We owe MS Blast a, a, a debt of gratitude. That was the first time the world really st- stood up and paid attention to hardware firewalls in the home. And now everybody's got one. You may not even know you have one, but you have one. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, Wi-Fi routers just didn't have them. And I remember people would try to read me what was on the screen. And I would say, no, no, I, I know what you're seeing. Just And then they would say, oh, it's rebooting now. And while it was rebooting, I would say, okay, I, I've had this call 100 times today. It's going to say this, but I need you to immediately, Windows key R, shut down, space dash A, enter. And then I can tell you what to do next. And sometimes it would reboot three or four times before they would listen to me um, because, well, it says here and it's like, oh, 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 oh. just like, okay, please listen to me this time. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, things like this uh, and, you know, uh, want to cry and, and the ransomware stuff, the what's, what's the Bitcoin one? Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. These things, they move us all forward. And so the, while they're while they're malicious people doing bad things, they move society forward. So actually, I, I look at this day, August 11, 2003, as a good day overall in the history of computing, although it was a pretty bad day for a few people for, for a while. Yep. And that thing's still out there. Blaster is still on the internet. It's still being rejected by firewalls thousands of times a day. Once, it, once it's there, it never goes away. There's a there's an XP box or or a Windows 95 box sitting there in somebody's closet that they've forgotten is even turned on, and and it's spitting that thing out thousands of times a minute. And I every XP machine I got, I went into services and changed that to restart the service. Just like years later, I would get an XP machine, uh, <laughs> RPC service, restart service, restart service, restart service for all three actions. Um, and just because, you know, even though, you know, yes, it, it was patched, service pack two update, I'm behind, you know, just like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm turning that off. All right, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Please go to Element O. B.com. That's E-L-E-M-E-N-T-O-P-I-E.com. And um, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Answer the world's hardest caption. Fill out the form. That sends a message that gets priority in my inbox. I will read yours before I read messages from people I truly love and, and, and respect. Uh, that's that's the kind of priority it gets. Uh, or you can dial 559-IMOP and leave us a voicemail, and we'll probably play it right here on the show. Or you can, uh, if, lest you think I am filtering messages to the other guys, you can send them an email to edl at elementop.com. Uh, well, that one still works, but geekrant at elementop.com, and that will go to all three of us, and uh, and, and uh, Seth and Miles will see the un, unfiltered version of the feedback. Do that. Do one of those three things. Do all of those three things, um, and let us know what you think about any number of the things that we've talked about. Um, uh, we love to hear from you. Um, these, these new shows, we, we've kind of been skipping them a lot lately because frankly, they're depressing. Undepress us, please. Uh, give us something exciting and new and give us hope for the world ahead. Uh, tell us how your children are mastering 
uh, technology in the digital age and how they're becoming good digital citizens of the world. We need to know about that. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity thus making you seem like a better hiring option this week? Mark, this is some social engineering. I am specifically targeting you in this one. This one is Tank Town, USA, located in Georgia. So it's not too far for you. Um, you can go and drive a tank. Technically, it's not a tank. It's an armored personnel carrier, uh, but it's, close. it's got tracks and armor, so it's like a tank. Uh, you can drive it for 10 minutes um, for $125. You can upgrade to $600 and actually crush a car driving it. Um, if you want to operate a backhoe, you can do that there. You can shoot machine guns, the M1919 machine gun. Um, you know, and you can do corporate parties, group events. You can drive a tank and shoot a machine gun. You could drive a tank, shoot a machine gun and operate a backhoe if you wanted to. All of this can be found at tank townusa.com great fun for the whole family i am so sending this to my boss and saying with with a simple subject line team building activity oh yeah Um, group corporate party pricing oh this would be fun (laughs) dude that would be amazing 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 20 minutes in a tank um 10 minutes as a driver and 10 minutes as a passenger plus 10 minutes on the excavator Yes, yes, yes. And yes, they, they've in. actually built a chair kind of in the back middle of the of the uh, tank. And they say that's actually the more fun ride because it's kind of at the back. And so when you're going over hills and stuff, you're like, it's almost like you're riding a Bronco. So you're, you're kind of strapped in. Um, but this has, this looks like it is so much fun. Um, and for those of you who trace back to our EDL days, this is not the same one we covered back in episode 155. That was a, a different, um, um, you know, fundamentalist group in Minnesota you were supporting by going to. <laughs> so this one is located down in Georgia. So uh, tanktownusa.com, uh, drive a tank, crush a car, shoot a machine gun, you know, raise money for charity or blow off some steam for the corporate environment. Um, I, this is, I really want to go to Tanktown USA. I love that it's uh, 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 10 minutes or half a mile, whichever comes first. If you spend nine and a half minutes popping the clutch, installing the engine, that's not on them. That's on you. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get a half a mile or 10 minutes, whichever comes first. That's awesome. Seth, This you you have socially engineered this. Uh, this. This will be happening. Oh, yes. It will be mine. <laughs> See, um, and just for those of us listening, this is some bonus content at the end of the show. This is an example of a socially engineered attack. This was directed at one person. So um, now with a little bit of research, you can find someone and you can get an activity they would do, create a fake URL that when they click on install some exploit on their computer. But Tanktown USA is the legitimate website, I promise. So anyway, that's just a (laughs) example of social engineering. In a fun, non-threatening way. Bonus content uh, over. Back to you, Mark. Good stuff, man. Um, I, I enjoy that. Somebody today, um, I'm introduced to people on a regular basis who some of them have known me for years but uh, don't know I'm a podcaster. It's not something I talk about. I, I've said many times I suck at marketing. 
I'm not one of those guys going to walk up and say, hey, I'm a podcaster. Would you like to listen to my podcast? Um, but I do carry some business cards with me because it's 1994. Uh, and every now and then when somebody asks about it, I give them the business card. It's got the link and everything on it. And uh, so a guy asked me about it today and he said, well, what do you do? What's the show about? And I use the line, it's Drive Time Radio for Geeks. And he was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So uh, market sample of one says that maybe we've hit upon the, the appropriate description uh, for the show. Um, I, I like it. I like it. It resonates well. So uh, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next week. Uh, guys, as always, thanks for being the amazing, consummate, intelligent host that you are. Your um, contributions elevate this show, plain and simple. And uh, and I just, I just love it. Uh, I couldn't have these kind of conversations with dumb people. Unfortunately, I have really smart people working with me. So uh, thanks, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. And remember, pay for what you like or SoundCloud dies. 